intro, 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 intro. intro. All right, all right. Welcome to Flywheel, your number one source for everything Frax, DeFi, and all that's in between. If you want to know what's coming on, going on, and coming on the world on chain, you come to the right place. This is DeFi Dave here with Capital K, and we are here to help you harness the power of the flywheel. And on this rendition of Flywheel, we go into the temple, we bow our heads down, and we take a moment to listen to what the Templars at Temple Dow have cooking up in their humbled but uh, um, huge walls because there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. And so they're huge walls and they're growing, ever expanding. They have a lot of stuff they're building from the Grand Bazaar to origami, potential airdrops they were hinting at, quote unquote, governance frameworks. I will, I'll, I'll, I'll hold myself. Uh, you just have to go listen to the episode to see how you could possibly get those. Uh, but this was a great episode. Um, honestly, Temple is a true ally to Frax and the Frax community. I see a lot of parallels in their ideology and philosophy and also the, what they're building and how they're building it. Kit, what are your thoughts on this one? I just got to tell the listeners to get ready to is, clean is their soul and don their <laughs> robes because we're, we're going to go right to the heart of the temple. Yeah, we're going to go right to the center and bow our heads down in respect to the temple down. And we go down memory lane. And if you want to hear it all on this one, it's a really good episode. Make sure you stick around. If you want to catch everything Flywheel, make sure you hit that bell button, subscribe, give us a like, let us know what you think. Love it, hate it, anything in between, we want to know in the comments. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at FlywheelDeFi. Make sure you follow us on Telegram and join the discussion there at FlywheelDeFi. Subscribe to our new website, FlywheelDeFi.com, down below. Do that right now. You can follow me on Twitter at DeFiDave22. You can follow me at 0x capital underscore K. And you know what I'm going to say. Let's get the flywheel spinning. Do you hold ETH but don't know what to do with it? Want to earn those juicy liquid staking derivative yields but don't know where to start? Well, Frax ETH is there for you. Frax ETH is Frax's native LSD solution, allowing you to earn boosted yields in multiple ways on your ETH. If you want to get started, go to app.frax.finance and turn your ETH into Frax ETH today. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Flywheel. And today, we step onto the altar we say thanks and we show gratitude because we have on the Temple Dow uh, folks. I don't know, inherits Temple Dow, <laughs> inherits. Um, guys, um, thank you for coming on. We have Miri and Lux, two extremely talented DJs and even better individuals. Miri and I have been hitting the conference circuit for a while. Um, loved your yes, uh, stories and Lux, uh, you're a legend that precedes whose reputation precedes itself. And so great to have you both on board and to hear what exactly Temple is cooking up down uh, in your basement, honestly, because you <laughs> and finally bringing it to the surface um, because because um, because you've been doing a lot. You've been do it's been, you know, it's, even though it's been a bear market, you know what they say, bear markets are for building and you guys have indeed been building. So guys, thank you for coming on. Thanks, Dave. That's uh, that's an awesome intro. <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. um, 
Yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, to you know, get this started, uh, you know, maybe for people that aren't familiar with you guys in Temple, uh, can you give a short introduction to yourself and um, what is Temple Dow today and like what exactly you guys are doing? Yeah, sounds good. Uh, I'll go first, Lux, and we'll alternate. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm Mary. Uh, I've been with uh, with Temple Dow um for almost two years now which feels insane i came in through the opening ceremony uh loosely new lux via another dow and uh just kind of started uh moderating at the time it was called the temple watch now it's called guardians basically moderating i did the oc blew my mind uh, and basically started helping out wherever i could uh, ended up taking on a few projects because hands full uh, crunch time had to had to launch this thing and um, then slowly started taking up more responsibility and was anointed temple master uh, <laughs> not long after and nice. uh, yeah from the that, opening ceremony to <laughs> yeah. homegrown yeah home homegrown homegrown temple grown temple grown uh yeah I've, I've been in the space since about 2016 uh ran a crypto adjacent company for for about five years uh before temple and uh yeah now living and breathing temple day yeah. in day out past nice. two years all right lux now it's your turn how did you get initiated into temple dow um, first, I'd like to say greetings and, and blessings to all the true believers and future Templars. Um, I started out in the Temple community in the very early days, coming over from Olympus, um, from the Olympus Discord server. And I was really um, drawn into the whole on-chain church slash cult vibes and really wanted to, um, I guess, help push temple in in the direction of i guess true ascension it was just a the term that we called um the temples who make it the, the templars who make it to the very top so i started out um just like anybody else um just grinding in the discord server and eventually i like miri i worked my way up to being sort of the master of the enclave of mystery which is basically just making memes, making videos, and uh, just basically doing completely unproductive things. But since it was... Uh, what do you mean? That's launch, very productive. If anything, that's the yeah, most productive. It's culture. Yeah, since it was a token launch, and it's all, like, all about the culture um, and the Pepe memes, um, you know, I got a lot of uh, uh, attention from doing that. And as the temple grew, um, my... Uh, help was needed in other areas as well. So I started doing more um, in terms of um, helping to guide the, the product development and, and some of the treasury management aspects as well. Um, and of course, um, I can't forget to give credit to Decent Maxi, who was the, I guess, the Grand Templar who started this whole um, crazy ride. And yeah, and the Temple story in my mind is just starting. It's just beginning. And now we are at Temple today. Um, there's been a lot of ups and downs like there has been for every project. Um, but like we said, you know, you guys have been cooking up. You guys are, the Temple Dow team are releasing new products and 
you guys are really fulfilling your mission as a, you know, being this kind of like on-chain, low-risk, low-volatility asset that people can enter into. So where's Temple, uh, Temple Dow today and uh, what are you guys up to? Yeah, yeah so, so I even, think most, uh, I don't go ahead, Lex. Yeah, so um, for those of you who know, I think Temple started off with a, sort of like an Ohm Olympus model, uh, rebasing tokens. Uh, when you stake, you get the rebase rewards. And, and that worked out pretty well for a while because that was, again, uh, peak Ohm season in DeFi. Uh, but as the, the landscape changed, as the macro environment changed, uh, a lot of projects, Ohm included, had to sort of pivot and, and find a new um, product market fit. And, and for Temple, I think um, even though our original model was stake and chill, I think we really moved away from the staking part to make it even simpler. You don't even have to stake. To make it even chiller. Yeah, even yeah. All you need to do is chill, right? Like just buy Temple, no staking required. Uh, the yield automatically accrues to the price, and you don't have to lift the finger. Um, and and that seems to sort of like make things a lot simpler um, from a user experience standpoint. And um, our, our first, um, I guess, since this pivot, the the key product that we've developed is is called Ramos. Um, is basically like Temple's take on um, automated market operations. So it's, it's a lot like the Frax AMO system where um, basically there's a, there's a liquidity pool on, on Balancer um, and then there's a contract that manages the liquidity and then we have a bot um, using off-chain logic to basically make sure that the Temple price stays within a certain range of our, what we call the backing value or TPI. Um, not to be confused with FPI, uh, but basically it's, it's the verifiable stable coin backing in the treasury per circulating temple token. And as the, the treasury grows, this value will grow. And then Ramos will basically enforce um, the new peg in, in, I guess, softer way than, than Frax, but um, basically it, it keeps the, the price, the spot price within um, usually within 1% of the, the TPI number. Okay, so it's like a soft peg uh, mechanism. You guys have an AMO, and the AMO makes sure that the sample price is within a range instead of a specific peg. Correct. Okay, got it. Oh, cool. Ramos. Ramos. Ramos has Yeah, that's a, a good name. Yeah, I like that name. It's like <laughs> AMOs, but what does the R stand for? Yeah, what does the R stand Randomized. for? Randomized. Randomized. Yes randomized okay yeah could, could you actually walk me through how that works how, how do you keep that tight peg sure so um so basically there's a there's a ramos contract um and i guess the key parameter for that contract is is the tpi value which is uh arbitrary right like it's whatever mm -hmm. we set it to and it's just a, a numerator over a denominator um so if you know we're setting it to 97 cents then it would be 9,700 over a thousand or, you know, whatever fraction uh, we choose. And then what will happen is um, it, it will uh, maintain the spot price close to this value by basically rolling dice. And I think DGNs will appreciate 
um, that analogy. Um, so basically, when the price is within 1% of the spot price is within 1% of the TPI um, number, uh, the bot won't do anything. Um, but if it goes out of this range, what happens is um, it'll start rolling dice. So below, if it's 1% diversion from the TPI price, um, there will be a basically um, a 5% chance of uh, a rebalance up being called, you know, if we're talking about the price being below TPI. And it'll do this every 30 minutes. So basically, uh, you know, within the 24-hour period, it'll... Um, have a really strong likelihood of rebalancing uh, maybe two to three times a day if the spot price is below um, TPI. If the spot price falls um, significantly below, in, in for Ramos, we set that to about 3%, um, it'll do an automatic rebalance up, which means that it'll just, you know, at the next, um, at the end of the next 30-minute uh, cooldown, it'll just do a rebalance up. And, and it doesn't necessarily bring the price, you know, 100%. It doesn't close 100% of the delta between the spot price and the TPI. What it'll do is basically roll another dice where it'll close somewhere between, uh, you know, 20 to 100% of the delta uh, between the spot price and the TPI. And, and the reason for all this um, randomization, of course, uh, is to prevent front running and, um, basically mm. bots taking advantage of um, like a known or fixed Ramos rebalance transaction. Okay, got it. Let me try to summarize that to make sure I understand it correctly. So effectively, there is a threshold that you guys set, and let's just call that 1%. And when it hits that 1%, Ramos enters and he has a cup of dice and he just rolls the dice and he'll see whatever the dice lands on. And that would decide how much he would effectively bid on the uh on temple just to kind of raise it back up into the the quote peg but then in the chance when it goes super deep peg like three percent ramos will come in again and immediately do the uh bidding except they won't bid the full three percent it'll maybe bid like uh one percent up or it could bid all the way up to three percent but it's random so you really don't know and it does so every 30 minutes across a 24-hour span it will row well so you yes that's that's pretty close um even if it's just one percent below it'll still rebalance uh basically a stochastic um amount so it is there's no certainty with respect to how much that gap will be closed um, even if it's doing the automatic rebalance. Got it. Okay, so it could remain, say, under 1%, but raise it back to, like, under 50 bips for a prolonged period of time. Yes. Understood. Yep. Okay. Wow. Yep. Very, very so interesting. both the chance of occurring as well as the percentage of the delta that is closed are both randomized. Hence the Ramos. Okay, I see. It's like an AMO that has a mind of its own and the team doesn't really control it. All right, I, I yes. get it. Yeah, so I we never it. know okay. when it's going to actually rebalance. Um, if it's 3% or less, the low TPI, then it will definitely rebalance, but we still don't know how much. Yeah, I just want to say I really love this random mechanic, um, not just for, you know, uh, as fighting against front running, um, but also I think this random mechanic could be used in DAOs and in governance and I think right um in terms of like oh maybe like picking people to the council or you know maybe you know 
picking certain policies and trying things out. I think randomness is like one of those things that can like stop like the wrong incentives from happening because there's nothing to uh, have incentives for if it's just like random. If that makes sense. Yeah, and and it, that's a really good segue into, I guess, one of the use cases for Ramos. And and again, all the things that Temple has built are kind of um, built for its own purpose. But we we found a lot of sort of, I guess, um, uh, eager listeners from even other DAOs who are, um, you know, maybe struggling because they're trading significantly behind backing and they're not quite sure, uh, like, what's the best way to bring up the token price so that it matches sort of like what people think uh, the token should be priced at based on treasury holdings. So Ramos is actually in our mind, uh, a really good DAO solution uh, to, to raise the spot price up to whatever benchmark you want to set. You, it could even be, you know, JPEGs, it could be ETH, just like there's nothing. Ramos is very agnostic with respect to like, what is the target that you want to hit? And also, um, you know, which backing token you choose. It, it could be anything. So if I wanted to like make the peg to ETH and I'm like, hey, Ramos, this is what I'm like, what I want to like peg to, it'll be like, all right, word. And then it will just start, you know, bidding at random times. The amount would be at random times all in that direction. So it's like, it's like an automated bidder basically. Yeah. And okay. it's a sort of like a very elegant alternative to sort of like a fixed redemption contract, which I'm sure we're all familiar with. Uh, see Wonderland, see, you know, uh, uh, other projects. Um, and, and those are very problematic because, um, you know, everyone can sort of front run because they know what the price is going to be. Um, and here it's more of like, even, even when it does do a rebalance, it's still sort of buying at a, the protocol is still buying at a profit because of the, of, of the Delta and also the swap fee. So it basically, it's, it's kind of like guaranteed to raise the backing of the token uh, for every transaction. Yeah, very cool. And this actually segues into my next question very well, um, which is your farming strategy and your yields generation strategy for Temple token holders. What has it been like farming and trying to bring returns in this bear market, <laughs> especially on chain, especially in a world where yields uh, with treasuries have gone up to 5%. Everyone's trying to bring that back on chain. But, you know, you guys, you guys are, you know, similar to Frax in the regard of like, oh, let's put Frax before Frax V3. It's like, oh, we're like entirely on chain. Um, so what's it like trying to like hunt down those yields? Ups and downs. <laughs> ups and downs. Uh, for, luckily for the holders, mostly ups. For the team, for the ops team, mostly downs. <laughs> the downs were reserved for the ops team. <laughs> yeah. Peace so of the, mind. For the, the, sleepless, the sleepless nights were mostly for the ops team. You know, through exploit season we had earlier this year, you know, you had the Euler exploit, you had the sentiment exploit, you had oh, um, USDC DPEG. And we all came out entirely unscathed and, you know, even profitable for those events. Uh, but it didn't mean that we didn't have, you know, 72-hour cyber sleepovers with <laughs> with the rest of the ops team. Sleepover. Cyber sleepovers. That's good. Yep. Yeah, all the all the whole ops team in the chats, in the voice chats. Um, it was funny because we had a, a rather a large position in, in sentiment. And of course, we didn't know if it was going to resolve well or not. And so we, we had to act as prudently as, as possible. 
And so uh, anytime someone would repay into sentiment, we would be there refreshing Etherscan and within 13 seconds manually pulling this out before we had a bot built. <laughs> and people thought we had botted it, but it was three of us, <laughs> three, four of us just continually <laughs> refreshing yeah, Etherscan zones, yeah. and, and pulling out as many as much funds as possible. Uh, so uh, fun times, fun times, but at least the holders didn't uh, didn't really notice. Uh, so that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, what uh, like strategies have you guys been up to in in the bear market? I I know you guys are you know big user big users of Fraxland, but I'm curious uh, what else you guys have been doing. Yeah, just to just to sort of add context to to what Mary is saying, you know, before the Federal Reserve raised interest rates. Uh, like crazy. Um, DeFi was the place to get yields, right? I mean, that's pretty much what's uh, spurred um, DeFi summer. And and then back then, I guess, you know, 2020, 2021, like you, you, you couldn't like uh, go to any webpage without seeing like two or even three or four figure like APY numbers. Like you couldn't, um, there's just like endless, like free money, so-called free money being given away, right? And then and then sort of uh, when the bear market hit and then the Federal Reserve um, did what it did, it didn't become extremely difficult. It was real, sort of really weird because uh, people were kind of asking like, okay, so I can get uh, T-bills for, you know, 4% to 5%, you know, CDs, et cetera. But then in DeFi, um, if, you, if you held like a stable coin, you're just doing like normal farming on the, on the biggest uh, curve pools, you're only getting like two to three percent. So it's very sort of like a very bizarre world where you had all this, you know, DPEG risk and and um, rug risk and all that, but you're you're not being rewarded um, uh, proportionally for the risk that you were taking uh, with the money. So um, in in I think for I guess all probably all treasury managers would probably agree that um, scaling is extremely difficult. Uh, in, in DeFi because it's, it's like every yield um, opportunity closes in a relatively short amount of time as, as other farmers ape in. And every time you go in and out of these protocols, you know, you're, you're taking on risk, right? Whether the contract is, is exploited or, you know, there's a, there's a DPEG or, or something that kind of falls apart. So our sort of overall, um, I guess treasury management philosophy is, is that we, at least during this period, we, we want to be sort of very conservative and and focus on uh, risk adjusted yields rather than, I guess, chasing every like degen farm um, that that exists uh, on L1 or especially in L2. Um, the sentiment situation that uh, Miri talked about was was on um, Arbitrum, which is not like. Uh, the lowest of the shitcoin chains, but it, you know, it is kind of an L2 and, and, you know, there's bridge risk and all that. So, so um, after sort of being hit with two of these lending market uh, situations, like within a month, uh, we, we really sort of um, took a more conservative approach and um, focused more on like capital preservation. And also um, we found that, uh, you know, some of the treasury tokens that are, I guess, um, relatively analogous to, to Temple, where the token is, is underpriced um, relative to treasury holdings, um, those have worked out um, 
pretty well for us um, for, for the allocations that uh, we invested in those protocols. Uh, can you uh, go into more detail about that last part? Uh, what do you mean by that? Uh, so, a lot. Like, what, what, uh, what treasury tokens have, have you, like, do you have in your treasury? Yeah, so we've, we've publicized those in our treasury report. So, um, one project that we invested in was, was Rook. Um, Rook? The, yeah. Yeah. So, so basically, it was sort okay. of like nice. um, the token was trading below. I guess it's book value. And then um, Temple saw this mm-hmm. as a sort of like an ar- a governance arbitrage opportunity and, and invested um, some of its, its, its uh, holdings. And then in the end, there was peace in the land. And then um, the, the Rook token holders uh, received, um, I guess, their share of um, the deal that was made between the team and the governance token holders. Nice. And it's funny, um, when you talk about you guys being affected, uh, especially with worry, uh, when these lending protocols, whether it's Euler or Sentiment getting hacked, um, it, it sounds eerily familiar to when Rari was exploited last year. And that was the catalyst for Frax to be like, hey, you know, we should just build our own lending market. And then when I see Origami, I'm like, it's like, I kind of have this light bulb coming. I'm like, wait, like, did that go into building origami? And uh, Kit, I'll, I'll let you uh, take yeah. this one. Actually, before we get into origami, I want to take a step back and just ask about the larger Spice Bazaar and kind of how does the Spice token fit into the TempoDAO ecosystem? Can we start there first before jumping into origami? Sure. Uh, in fact, they're kind of related. Um, so, so the idea is. Uh, behind um, the, the Spice Bazaar is, I guess, is, is sort of like our our vision uh, for how to add um, like a premium, like an extrinsic value to the Temple token price. And, and we think that um, a token like Temple, because of the soft peg, because of um, other risks um, inherent to the protocol, um, you know, it should trade at a premium or at least sort of outperform just holding the underlying stable that's backing the token, right? Whether it's Frax, whether it's Thai, um, or USDC. And, and, but to be really sort of like, to be, to be able to say like, oh yeah, you're doing well. Um, I think, you know, we think that Temple token should trade at, at a premium um, to its, its backing value or the TPI. So the Spice Bazaar is sort of this idea that um, basically, um, while Temple has done a, a fairly uh, good job um, in terms of managing its treasury, ultimately that is not really uh, where we will be able to add the most value. Um, first and foremost, we still consider ourselves builders. So we want to build products and, and protocols and, and things that um, don't necessarily uh, look like farming. So origami is sort of like our first uh, foray into this, I guess, moon token uh, territory. But really, um, the, the idea of this Spice Bazaar is just um, Temple token as a, a base layer, much like Fraction as a sort of like a base chain for the apps that are building on top of it. We want other projects and our own internal projects to be able to build on top of, of Temple. Now, people might ask, you know, why, you know, what do you mean by building on top of Temple? Um, 
for a lot of the qualities that we've already discussed, such as um, deep liquidity, uh, price stability, and, and then um, being able to sort of provide really good routing to stable coins, um, building on top of Temple uh, will allow any project um, to sort of leverage Temple resources, uh, especially in terms of that uh, bootstrap liquidity that we can provide, you know, in terms of either um, stables or even ETH, uh, as we've already done for certain partners. Um, and for Origami, you know, we would probably be on the, the lending side or the, the, the liquidity supplier side and being able to sort of like help drive uh, more TVL to the platform. And, and then um, what Spice Bazaar does is it's not just, um, you know, we'll have these partnerships. It has a built-in mechanism uh, for bi-directional um, redemption where you can take your, um, your temple token and basically exchange it for any one of the spice tokens that we will have. Um, and then you will receive that token plus the, the TPI that um, I mentioned earlier. Um, so you'll, so for basically swapping one temple, you're going to get like one spice token plus the cash value of temple. And you could also go in the other direction. Um, you could provide the, the spice token, provide the current cash value, and then you'll get one temple back. And, and every time you do this exchange, there's a, um, like a fee that gets, um, um, taken by the protocol. Um, and also it's shared with our partner. And so, um, through this sort of redemption mechanism, we hope to drive value to both Temple um, as well as the Spice project. So it's like an option on the on the growing ecosystem of Temple DAO projects. It's like, hey, I have a Temple Poke token. I want exposure. You basically have it redeemed. You get the Spice token, and you get yes. whatever the project and, is. And it's kind of like it's just like a, basically like another LP, so to speak. But the difference is. Um, it, there's never like new injections. So meaning that, you know, whatever we see the temple and the spice token at, at in the beginning, um, you know, there's not going to be any other like liquidity providers. And so um, in, in the beginning, when the spice token is cheap, there will be um, um, a lot of it in, in that contract. And then as hopefully this, this spice project moons and people want this token, um, price goes up and then the temple holders can then um, uh, swap it, um, swap their temple for the spice token and then um, profit that way. Uh, or alternatively, they can sort of like go back to temple and wait for the next um, spice opportunity. Got it. So it's, it's like for the spice that comes to market. It's almost like if Fraxland, Fraxwap, and Fraxferry all had its own separate token, but all built on top of Frax. It's kind of the way I'm, I'm thinking about it. It's like all of the spices are, are sub-protocols. I mean, granted, in Frax's case, they're building it themselves. But I would imagine you're kind of open to, to any partner coming on and building in the Spice Bazaar, right? Exactly. And we would just yeah. sort of like set an initial valuation. So let's just say mm -hmm. uh, there's a new project XYZ. We think it's worth uh, $10 million um, at the, the very early stage. And so we sort of um, put in uh, the number of uh, temple tokens to match that valuation. And then over time, what will happen is the number of uh, temple tokens in that contract will, will go up as people dump temple for the XYZ token. And um, and that value will basically accrue to 
the remaining temple holders. Got it. Understood. And let's talk about the first, you know, or a uh, spice in the bazaar, which is origami. Can you can you share with us some details about that? And you guys have described it as an internal money market, which I think is a really interesting way to describe it. Um, before I talk about that, Miri, did you have anything else to add about the spice bazaar? Oh, just to uh, just to, just to affirm what what Keith was saying, uh, in that it's essentially a an incubator framework, so that it's it's not just for uh, Temple DAO internal products. So even uh, origami, in a sense, it's the first external product that we have. But then there's also various protocols that we partner with, uh, and uh, who we might want to include within that. Uh, within that framework of the Spice Bazaar. Um, and also everything that Lux just said, it's, uh, it, it was, a, it was a, quite a, a, knowledge, a knowledge dump. So if you would want to take some time to, to go over that yourself, anyone who's listening, I recommend going to the Temple Medium and reading through the Spice Bazaar article. It is totally normal to only have captured about 20% of what Lux just said. <laughs> Entirely normal. I, I, I listened to the, your guys' DCF God space um, and listening to that and then listening to Lux just now made it a lot easier to digest. So sometimes it just takes like a few times listening to stuff. Definitely. And, and it was also nice to be able to, to kind of go more in depth um, during this run than Spaces. I think we only touched on it lightly uh, yeah. during the Spaces. So it's, it, thank you for giving us the opportunity to, um, to elaborate there. Hey, that's why we're here. We keep the flywheel yeah. spinning. <laughs> for sure. And like the thing that was difficult for me to, to kind of grok the first time was how the redemption and how the economics backing operated. Like I understood the whole, you know, um, temples in the center and all the other projects are like the hubs and spokes on a wheel. Conceptually, get that, but economically, like I, I need like a flywheel. A yeah, bit. That's right. <laughs> yeah, like a flywheel. And then I needed a bit more help on understanding how does that tie to the economics. But Lux did a great job, um, and I, I feel like that provides like a really great launch pad, both like economically, but also in terms of like product wise, right? Cause you guys are going to share all your learnings, how you use open ceremony as a service and how you, you know, all of these things <laughs> oh, are going to be compounded alpha. and learning. I do want to share a story about the opening ceremony. I believe I was in NFT NYC at the time and I, I had my laptop open in the hotel room playing the open ceremony. And I remember <laughs> having to like go behind the wall to look at this secret message and then go into this pyramid looking thing but you have to exit the pyramid to go underneath the base to look up to see the image and i just whenever i ask anybody if they've done the temple out open ceremony the moment someone says yes it's like instant brotherhood it's like it's like the templar just just knows each other it's like oh it, you went through that too it's, it's amazing i um, i mean dave said you know we, we've done some uh, some conference runs together first time i was a little bit nervous because you know i, I didn't know how how people feel about temple you know throughout the bear market but anytime i i mentioned oh temple dao they were like oh my god temple dao opening ceremony and they would get so excited and like you said instant brotherhood i think uh, what makes yeah i think what makes temple different from all the other own forks and all the other projects was how 
original you guys were and how novel yes. you guys were. Like the only thing you guys really had similar to Ohm was that opening rebasing mechanic. But you know, Decent Maxi and all like the OG team and everyone they ha- they really went out of their way to create an experience. And I think a lot of builders can learn from that. Whether they're DeFi builders, whether they're mm-hmm. NFT builders, or like DAO, they it's all about the experience online. And Kit, like you still remember everybody remember. here who participated in this <laughs> ceremony. There's like there was something electric. There was something that you'll never forget. And then you always have that bond with you. But like, hell, I, I mean, although I didn't participate in it, I was, you know, getting rugged during DeFi summer. And I feel like I have a bond with everyone during <laughs> yeah, DeFi summer, sure. like that, yeah. you know, during that special time. And I'm wondering if like those bond, like these collective bonding experiences, like how they're going to come in the next cycle. Cause like kind of like right now, like there's been like a lull and stuff like, yeah, you have all these like um, meme coins, gamblefy coins or whatnot. But I wonder if there's going to be like some, like something like deeper, uh, like a deeper mechanic that will like, or deeper kind of like meme that will bond people collectively I, again. Like I know it will repeat. I don't know how it's going to repeat or what it's going to look like, but what are your guys' thoughts on that? Oof, that's interesting. So at least I think uh, a lot of what's bonded us have been the the struggles, and I think mm-hmm. the opening mm-hmm. ceremony was it was a fun struggle because it was you know forty eight hours of puzzles uh, to be able to sacrifice your your fracks for for temple, uh, and all the other events you know what the things I've bonded over since twenty sixteen it's it's not been as much the you know. The good stuff, you know, making money on a 10x or a 100x or whatever. It's been the bad stuff. It's been you know, the struggle. It's, it's, it's been the struggle. It's been the learning. It's been getting, yeah, it's getting rugged on this thing, losing money on that thing. And and it's that doing that collectively that, that creates that bond, uh, which anytime it, at Dave... Uh, so many people that I that bonded with because like oh my god you've been in the spaces then oh you got rugged on that thing too and it just creates an instant bond and we'll probably have a few of those but on the positive positive end of things uh, as as Kit was just um, slightly leaking the alpha there we, we we have been working on a more advanced version of the opening ceremony uh, that we're calling Nexus. Uh, that partners oh. will also be able to use to um, to have their own little version of the opening ceremony uh, and kind of bring that positive vibe back, which I think everyone would appreciate. Yeah, just to add to wow. that, uh, I'll share my wow. story too. Um, we we had a call with Jonesdale recently, well, not recently, but maybe six months ago. And uh, one of their leads, uh, Nock, um, you know, when we got on the call, he was – uh, raving about like the experience that he had in the opening ceremony as well. And he was saying that at the time he was on the Olympus policy team and everyone on the Olympus uh, policy team was just like doing the <laughs> opening ceremony. And he, for some reason, like his computer was, was not cooperative and he just couldn't finish the puzzles. He, he did the walkthrough, you know, he had uh, someone to try to like walk him through on the microphone or the, the headphone and he still couldn't finish it. And he was like so upset because like he was the only uh, policy council member who couldn't finish the opening ceremony. And, and then when I told him that, Oh, you know, we sort of, uh, we we basically turned it back on again and you can go to this website and, and go through it again uh, like it was your first time and he was like so psyched you know so yeah you just never know when you run into someone 
um, who, who still has fond memories of the opening ceremony. And I, I think the secret there is just having this shared emotional experience. And I think uh, for the first mm-hmm. time in DeFi, uh, that actually happens, right? I mean, we all know people are in it for the money, uh, you know, the the DJs, the apes, um, we get all that. But but Temple was like sort of like the first time that I can remember uh, where people uh, went through an ordeal and they laughed, they cried, they made new friends, and um, you know they remembered. So so I think you know opening ceremony itself will never be replicated the, the magic, but certainly I think we can uh, come up with some creative ways for people to have that shared emotional experience again. I think you I like, captured yeah, it very like well like, with the word magic. Shared it, it, emotional it, experience. Yeah. Magic. It, will there it, be an opening really ceremony was. for, or, well, actually, origami is already live. <laughs> that was like, right, will there right, be like right. some ceremony for origami? I, I can only say that we're trying. I mean, we have some very interesting puzzles that we're going to try to incorporate. Oh, cool! But yeah, let's um, talk about origami, guys. Like, what what is origami, and um, what makes it different from all the other competitors? Yeah. So, so to, uh, to set the stage, I mean, origami is uh, on the surface or the first fold, as we call it. It, it looks like an auto compounder um, in the pretty crowded field, and we started off building like the first tor- token that origami supports uh is obviously glp and, and, and gmx and, and that was because when we uh first started working on origami that was the, the the hot new girl right in school and and everyone was trying to build on top of gmx and, and there's like everyone over, in a piece yeah yeah there's over like a dozen um projects that made uh, auto compounders of one type or another and um now that you know glp yields are are sort of down only um all these protocols are sort of stuck with this product that doesn't really generate a lot of yield but then um you know they've already they have it uh, on their platform and they don't quite know what to do so um i think the idea of, of origami is that uh we want to support sort of like the newest and, and, and coolest uh yield token or lst um, that that people want uh, to get leverage on, and and leverage. Um, there's always like two parts to leverage, right? There's the 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 borrower who wants to sort of um, uh, increase their exposure directionally to a certain token, and then there are these lenders who um, are going to you know give out either uh, fully collateralized or slightly under collateralized loans to these borrowers so that they can continue to. Um, get more of that token. So um, the origami is not necessarily an auto compounder. It's more of a, like a money market model where we sort of create incentives and, and put in the safety uh, measures in place so that lenders can feel comfortable um, lending on the origami platform to these uh, DGENs and, and leverage seekers. And similarly, the, the DGENs can get uh, like crazy leverage um, but not a lot of like manual um, position management like they would otherwise have to do. So right now, like if you wanted to to go long on um, um, GMX, for example, um, you would have to borrow money from somewhere that takes GMX as a collateral and, and then somehow use that money to buy more GMX. And you have to sort of like manage your health ratio at all times. And it's very um, tedious. And what origami does is it basically 
turns is very uh, labor intensive um, money market leverage strategy into a, a simple staking experience um, where the borrower just puts up the collateral, whether it's GLP, GMX, or whatever else on mainnet. And then um, the underlying vault system will basically optimize the flow of capital between the stablecoin lender to one or more of these um, leveraged vaults. Um, and, and if the, the performance of these vaults, the, the leverage vaults is not up to par, the stablecoin vault will also deposit into sort of like a low risk strategy such as DSR or um, the Aave V2 market, uh, basically to ensure that the, the capital mm -hmm. is never idle um, and, and that we're always sort of fully capital efficient. So that is sort of like the, the key difference between um, origami and, and some of these other competitors is that we were designed from the ground up, not for a, any particular token, which could get stale in six months. It's, it's really a way to, to bring um, liquidity suppliers to people who want leverage. Understood. Okay. And just so I can group that all together for my own understanding, you effectively offer a auto compounder, but also help me manage my liquidation risk so that I don't have to worry about that. And that, that is as on the borrower side. On the lender side, I deposit my stable coin with you with Origami. And I know that no matter what, this stablecoin is going to be either lent out to the GMX leverager or it's going to be diverted to other more safer options like DSR, Aave, just so that there is no idle capital. That is correct. Yep. So we, we're going to target 95% utilization ratio for the stablecoin. So the remaining 5% will be wow. um, uh, supplied as Working sort of capital. Uh, yeah, well, it's 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 capital efficiency. It's going to be you know deposited into some lower yield but safer you know non leveraged uh, strategy, and then if you want to withdraw, that's you know that's the initial um, exit liquidity that gets provided. Yeah, what I find yeah, interesting and, about your model mm -hmm. is with the D, with the DSR that is currently pre frax V three. That's the risk free rate of DeFi. It's like the simplest easiest safest thing you can do uh with your assets is like if all if all the yields go down and our stuff is just too risky you just put it in, in the dcr the dsr yeah well that that's for mainnet um, on arbitrary unfortunately there is no dsr but uh, yes that's the general idea we'll, we'll, we'll pick whatever the but on but we will also expand to mainnet as well so then we'll take advantage of the low risk opportunities on mainnet. But um, if you look at some of our competitors, what you'll see is that there is sort of like uh, too much demand on the leverage side, but then like on the supplier side, there's not enough, uh, you know, USDC providers or, or USDT providers. And, and the reason for that is because, um, you know, if you're going with sort of like a regular, like a revenue share model, where you're taking part of that yield and you're giving that to the to lender, and then the rest of it is going to either the protocol or the or the borrower. That that works well until yields drop, right? And as soon as yields drop, like you're in this sort of death spiral where there's not enough uh, mm -hmm. liquidity providers to to generate the leverage, and and so th those vaults are oversubscribed. But then the yields, 
because it's not leveraged, the yields are low. So then there's not a lot to share in terms of revenue. So you're in this sort of like very awkward situation where you might have 99% subscription in the uh, leveraged vault, but only 20% uh, subscription in the stablecoin vault. And, and that is the sort of like the situation that we want to avoid. And, and we've um, designed extensively uh, around preventing this from happening. Yeah, and I, I think you yeah, guys are to, able uh, to... Mm-hmm. Uh, just to expand on Kit, Kit, what you what you were saying um, before in your your summary, uh, just to add a bit of nuance there, uh, the GMX GLP offering that we have now is uh, something that we launched with on uh, July 26th. So that's the the first offering that we have, uh, but we are expanding into uh, other liquid staking tokens. Uh, relatively soon after the launch of V2, so that's the the second fold. And uh, this will one includes. Will be there? I was just about to say, might just include Braxith at some point. Wrap stake teeth. Uh, so that's and that's obviously something uh, like Lux said uh, that we'd have to expand to mainnet for, and would want to as well. Um, also to just a, a, attract um, more liquidity because on Arbitrum, it's at the moment, it's it's just not really there, uh, and of mm-hmm. course. Mainnet right now is just the highest amount of liquidity, uh, so it makes most sense from all uh, from all aspects for us to um, uh, to move there as well. Um, so what's the roadmap looking like for Origami? Um, did I um, hear or hint at a um, a token possibly coming? <laughs> and did I hear of um, a possible airdrop if a uh, certain airdrops are taken? Cannot confirm nor deny. Shall, yeah, shall shall that confirm or deny? Um, what I can say is that, uh, well, like I said before, it's it's a uh, it's an independent sort of external protocol uh, that will likely have its own governance. Um, do with that what you will. Uh, and of course, in such a scenario, we would take early depositors into account. And um, and also, like, what are like if I'm an origami user. What are like some ways I could generate fees for the protocol? If like like what actions are taken to like fee for fees to be generated by yeah. the protocol? So so right now in the first fold, um, for from the auto compounders, the the fee is basically five um, percent of the yield that is received. So um, if you know the the protocol is compounding whatever ten ETH, uh, then Origami will take. Uh, 10% of, sorry, 5% of that, and then uh, roll the rest of the ETH into the vault um, as sort of like increasing the share price for the vault shares. Um, for for the leveraged vaults, um, we're probably going to, I mean, it's still a little bit fluid right now, but we're going to take um, basically a cut of the reserve ratio, which is basically like when the leveraged vaults repay their debt, um, part of that repayment will go to um, the, the origami protocol. And so basically it's like debt that wasn't repaid. Got it. Got it. Fees may or may not be important for the airdrop. But I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I'm got talking it. about. But anyways, um, with um, what do we got here? Um, can you tell us about, do you guys have any other products uh, under audit, audit? Like maybe another lending product or a governance product you have under audit? Uh, in the temple universe you are well informed 
it it is it is true. The rumors are true. Uh, we do Ooh, we do have, have uh, currently uh, Temple Love and Care, <laughs> Temple Line of Credit TLC uh, under audits, which Ooh. comes with a whole new uh, governance framework, which uh, is a massive building block towards our vision of making Temple entirely decentralized and autonomous as as a DAO should be uh, I feel you know DAOs have just strayed from the original path of what it was supposed to be yeah. uh, and we want to put Temple on that right path um, and with that you know means minimal human involvement uh, we feel that quite often DAOs get started, raise a bunch of money, and they just keep building and spending money uh, until that's done. We feel that uh, at some point, what you've created needs to be self-sustainable. Uh, it needs to stand on its own in terms of decentralization, but also just run almost entirely autonomously. Uh, now that comes with certain asterisks, of course. You know, you can't just go from from zero to hundred. Uh, and that means having certain circuit breakers and uh, and some backstops, especially in the beginning. Uh, but this is something uh, that is uh, very soon to follow origami. My new favorite term is governance framework. I'm going to use that for now. For, <laughs> for now um, on. If, if I can just add to what um, Yuri is saying. So... Um, just going back to sort of our, our earlier um, discussion about treasury management, um, it, it is, is my personal belief that treasury management doesn't really scale. Um, the reason is because uh, of yield chasing and then, you know, the way liquidity works in DeFi um, just basically means that all yield opportunities shrink to basically the, the market rate um, sooner rather than later. And that's um, on top of, the the contract risk that you're taking every time you move money so in, in sort of like lux's version of temple's future uh, it would have a very limited set of strategies that it's actually allocating to let's just say you know maybe there's only three maybe there is ramos and then there is uh tlc and then there is like spice uh uh, project A, B, and C, right? So basically, all of these are internal, um, internal-facing uh, contracts and protocols. So we have a much better grasp of the the risk um, from interacting with these contracts. And then at that point, treasury management can be pretty much entirely um, uh, automated, right? Because then it's just like there's no discretionary allocations at all. It's just like Temple is providing this base layer liquidity to these uh, revenue generating products. And that is sort of like the future that I see as the sort of the grand temple where, um, you know, treasury managers are more or less uh, just, just there for the, for the culture and the protocol runs itself and the, the signers execute the will of the DAO um, according to the specifications of the proposal. But um, the rest of it is more like a huge dashboard that anyone will be able to to manipulate. So treasury managers become cultural curators. I like that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking as I'm, I'm sure you guys know, like FraxGov recently uh, went, went live. Um, and I was curious to see if there's a way to integrate 
elements of FraxGov into Temple so that it truly is. There is no multi-sig that needs to be signed, you know. Um, and uh, just to kind of in case you guys weren't caught up with FraxGov is effectively having a dual governance system. There's the alpha and the omega and the omega is effectively a optimistic proposal. So it is only being able to be proposed by the team and the let's say you guys want to do some simple Ramos operation. You guys can make a quick proposal for it. It would most likely go through because there's only take four percent or, or x like a very low parameter for it to pass. And then there is the alpha governor, which is much more uh, robust and demanding. It requires a very high vote in order to pass through because Alpha can effectively do anything and change the government parameters across the board. But the benefit of having this system is now there is no longer a multi-sig that needs to be signed by the team. Everything literally executes through governance by VEFXS holders. Oh, that's interesting. I... I was going to say because I, I did a bit more uh, reading about um, Frax v3 uh, before coming on I didn't actually realize that uh, Frax Gelf was already live um, yeah, so definitely yeah. looking forward to learning a bit more about that after the call yeah we, we do have a uh, pod that we did with the creator the docs were just released the docs were just released today Oh, today. Yeah. Oh, so this is very fresh. Okay, so we're not. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. You, you guys are literally, we we're are at the cutting edge. Yeah, no. <laughs> so, um, okay. <laughs> yeah. The bleeding edge. So, yeah. Yeah, you guys yeah, are so definitely that sounds very similar but... to sort of like the, the, uh-huh. the, tri- uh, the tribe model where like the code that gets executed is what gets approved. But this is just sort of like taking that to the next level with uh, elevated yeah, access yeah. Um, controls. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. So um, speaking of Frax, this segues to my next question pretty well. Um, you guys have been a part of the Frax ecosystem ever since the ceremony when people needed Frax in order to get their temple. Um, and you guys have participated and have been quite active in the Frax ecosystem using the Frax family of products ever since. So um, can you guys explain to our listeners and fellow Fraxmalists, how you guys are involved in the Frax community right now, what you guys are doing, what are you guys using, and also what are your thoughts on Frax V3? Um, you know, because a lot of these products that you're building, I could definitely see for whether it's like Frax Bonds or some Frax V3 or something else be integrated in Origami or in whatever you guys have cooking up there. But I digress some. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, so we, um, I mean, I guess looking back and, and watching sort of your talk uh, about stablecoin maximalism, um, Temple actually, I guess, unbeknownst to itself, has has been walking that path for a while now, mm. right? Like we have uh, this sort of idea of reserve backing per token, and then we built this Ramos, which is like your swap facility, um, and then we're introducing this uh sort of a line of credit or, or lending facility. And then we're using these sort of pillars, we're gonna build more stuff on top of it um, and, and create that synergy. So, so we're definitely um, uh, brothers from, I guess, uh, different mothers in that sense, where we believe in a lot of the same things. And, and we do believe that stable value 
is is a very critical ingredient for for um, for transaction and and value um, for, for the ecosystem. So so yes, we just going back to origami. I mean, if you look at it. Um, from from perspective of any like liquid staking protocol like um, FraxEth, I mean Origami is basically like a turbo charge for like TVL, right? Because if you get added to Origami, what it's going to do is just pump crazy amounts of leverage into that staking protocol and really drive up um, the TVL. So we see sort of FraxEth as a very like a natural partner for Origami, um, and then in terms of uh, temple uh, on the temple side, um, something like I guess the Frax equivalent of DSR. When um, that's ready, we'll, we'll certainly be interested in, in integrating with that as a sort of like the risk-free strategy for um, the Temple V2 system, where we're not sort of just um, uh, totally uh, all in on on Dai or, or USDC. We're sort of like um, spreading the stablecoin holdings among the different uh, relatively risky stablecoin strategies. Got it, got it. Uh, Mary, um, what about you? What are your thoughts on uh, ways that uh, TempleDAO has participated and has been active in the FRAX ecosystem? I mean, obviously we've uh, we've been one of the largest uh, FRAX supporters from day one, like you said, opening ceremony. The only way to participate was to get FRAX. Uh, and this was at a time where Frax wasn't uh, very well known yet. This was, uh, say, October 2021-ish. Um, so it, it, it was it was interesting because a lot of people, they you know, in, in supporting people in being able to sacrifice their Frax, they first had to get Frax. They walked them through and said, oh, what's Frax? And, you know, having to educate people on what Frax is. Uh, and that, of course, um, you know, at some point we were uh, single largest holder of Frax and uh, as Temple in its uh, treasury uh, governance also contains multitudes, we had to start diversifying the treasury, uh, but then still ended up being a, a very large user of, um, of Fraxland. And uh, like Lux said, we, we, we see them as a, as a strong uh, ideological partner still. Um, I was very excited to, um, to read that uh, FraxGov, that they were working on FraxGov within, within V3. Um, so, you know, those kind of innovations, uh, they're, they're a necessity. Uh, back in 2017, you know, kind of everything was bullshit, right? You know, everything was bullshit. And, and, and it stopped being bullshit once we got stable coins. And since then, it's, it's only, the ecosystem has only started to mature more and more uh, as the stable coins started to develop and the ecosystems around that started to build, uh, which is also something I think you touched on in ETCC within that mm -hmm. stablecoin maximalism talk. And within that, you know, we are also strongly ideologically aligned because funnily enough, yes, also what you touched on within stablecoin maximalism talk, Temple also, you know, we're mostly stables backed. <laughs> we are also diverging around that idea of becoming, well, kind of a degen pseudo stablecoin now <laughs> being backed to our treasury uh, and being mostly stables backed which is also, you know, kind of stablecoin maximalism. Uh, and of course, you know, the, the team being the big brains that they are, we, we, keep, uh, we do keep a keen eye on, on what's, uh, what they're developing, what they're working on. 
uh, and and see how we can build further on that and, and integrate it with uh, with what we're doing. Yeah, it's kind of like Temple. The Temple token has its own nat- natural inflation to it. And you guys, you know, you guys see these activities on chain. And like as you guys see these activities, the token raises in value, but the collateral backing it is actually most is pretty much all stables and a diversified yeah. set of stables. And your swap facility um, is the curve pools, I, I assume. Or am, am I getting that right? Uh, balancer. Balancer. Fine. My bad. Balancer. Balancer <laughs> is your swap facility. So do you guys participate in the uh, the bound the or or uh, wars up? It looks like um, well, Kid is actually in a typhoon right now. So oh. yeah, uh, it, it's all good. I I'm here to carry on the interview. Um, all right, I'm gonna go to my the the next question. Um, so um, you know, if you guys have stables. You guys are doing all these strategies on chain, but what do you guys think of RWAs and off-chain yields? Have you guys thought about that at all? Um, has that affected on your yield strategy uh, at all? Are you guys strictly on chain, or have you thought about off-chain things? Mm, that's a that's a cool question. Um, so it's um, so we've already partnered with Ondo back in the day, you know, during their V1, uh, before they really went the, the RWA route. Uh, there's even still some Templars, old Templars working at Ondo. Uh, so we have close relations there and, and we like to keep oh, up to date with Templars that too. everywhere, I see. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> we, it's like a society. Big, Do you guys uh, have a secret handshake? <laughs> yeah. Oh, we should. We should have one. It's a foot rub, actually. Yeah, it's, it's a, a foot rub. <laughs> a very odd brand. Yeah, it's incredibly crypto. We love feet here. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, we're getting much, much coming out soon too. That's also a bit of alpha. Getting some merch out soon. Um oh, that's we can recognize the other Templars. Yeah. Um this so we've we've spoken to um we've spoken to uh, um uh, RWA providers, also stream finance. Uh really cool. Uh I think DAOs are the logical target audience for this thing. Uh legal part is a bit tricky so i think there should be some some rails for that to be developed uh so it becomes easier to onboard these DAOs. i think that may, might be a little bit of a struggle uh because otherwise so, so some people have been bearish on uh rwa type protocols because they're like okay the people who are in crypto are in crypto for the degen returns if they are interested in rwas they just have a brokerage account uh but that's not true for DAOs. Uh, and for us, it could be very useful. It's just those initial hurdles need to be overcome. Uh, it's all a bit new. It's a bit scary. It in- introduces new uh, new risk uh, vectors, of course, um, because you have some more counterparty risk on top of the uh, regular smart contract risk. So these are all new things that kind of need to be evaluated. And then there's the legal risk on top of that. Uh, but I think it's a, it's a very uh, logical, natural progression uh, and, and this is also something we keep a, key, a keen eye on and keep talking to the, yeah, to the main providers to eventually perhaps partner with. Yeah, and mm. uh, just to like, add, add to what Mary's saying, so, so real world assets, um, it, it sounds great. Um, and, and that's mostly driven, again, by, by the macro, right? Because the, it seems like right now the, the real world yields are, are higher than what you might find in DeFi. Um, and with lower risk, 
But, but then for now, uh, we don't know sort of like how to quantify the, the confiscation risk, right? Like, you know, what if um, the, the SEC or whoever places mm-hmm. a call and then you can't move your assets out, right? Or uh, yeah. your, your bank goes down, right? So, so things like that, it's just a little bit hard for uh, sort of like an on-chain Web3 entity to, to really price in that risk. But um, I am bullish on sort of like the tokenization um, of, of real world assets and uh, in particular um, tokenization away from sort of like US jurisdiction. And that's, that's really important because um, as, as we saw sort of during, I guess, the, the Ukraine crisis, um, the US can basically just flex its muscles and say, oh no, we're not gonna do business with you and we're not gonna let you sell your, your oil or your, your corn or whatever um, the Russians were selling. So, so that kind of causes a lot of problems because really uh, money is still kind of backed by commodities. So um, recently, and I guess it's been really accelerated with the, I guess the, the crisis in, in, in Ukraine is just, there's been a, I think a major steps being taken toward um, the tokenization. So two, two uh, projects that um, you know, your listeners can sort of uh, do some research on. One is, um, these aren't crypto projects, but Project uh, Guardian and Project Mariana. So um, these are basically big banks, the, the Bank of International Settlements, the Monetary Authority of Singapore, basically talking about how to tokenize real world assets and create curve-like um, AMM pools to facilitate trade, to, to, to settle transactions, et cetera. And, and what's missing in these sort of frameworks that they're proposing is like the US dollar, or at least it's not um, being mentioned as like the key pillar of these um, new systems that they're building. So I think there is sort of this unspoken understanding that maybe the US dollar has sort of like outlived its usefulness as sort of the, 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 the the um, super dominant um, currency of choice for world trade and that we really need to sort of take advantage of the, all the advantages that blockchain provides um, and, and, and being able to create new yield opportunities and, and for trade um, uh, on a ledger, like a digital ledger that's not really owned by anyone and especially not the US. So I, I think this is a, a fantastic time um, for stablecoin or stablecoin-like projects to sort of like be ready to take advantage of these opportunities uh, when they finally come into um, come into view. Mm. Yeah, in ter- it's funny. We, I go back and forth about the U.S. dollar world reserve currency status because although there's like a lot of talk of it, like oh, like how long will it last? It's still the dominant currency, and so is the like. Granted, it, it may be used a little bit less for trade, but like the world still thinks in dollars. Hell, your treasury, your collateral and treasury is basically in dollars right now. <laughs> I like wonder, you know, I don't. It may t- whether the world goes like one way or the other way. Mm-hmm. Like it, may, it will take some time to figure that out. I think like the next like something that could be like a stablecoin of the future that. You know, I people like talk about, especially uh, in uh, our universe, is like I think like ETHBEX stablecoins could actually become a thing. Honestly, like um, you know, we people talk about ultrasound money as a meme, but now ETH has these characteristics of money, the risk free rate, uh, and everything that it, if it gets an, and it is used 
you know, it's right now, like maybe you just buy and sell NFTs. But in the future, if like people start thinking in ETH, like I'm thinking of NFTs in ETH, we think of NFTs in ETH. But if like more things get, you know, thought of in ETH, then that gains, you know, more, you know, windy as money. Because I'm not sure if I even want like, like another like fiat currency or another country or block of countries to be the world reserve currency, um, you know. And it, it will be interesting to see like how the, how all this evolves. Yeah, for sure. I'd rather see America or ETH, to be honest. And I'm biased as an American. <laughs> I think. It, I mean, I think at the beginning it will definitely be multipolar. Um, but it's just to sort of de-risk the U.S. confiscation. That that is, I think, the, the biggest thing in terms of real world um, asset opportunities. Yeah, I feel like there'll always be some risk of confiscation, whether it's by the U.S. or China or some other nation state. Um, you just that's just like the real world like the real world has guns that's for sure <laughs> like, that's that's the, the fact <laughs> um but uh, i want to get back on the world on chain and uh kind of the journey that you guys have have been on as templars throughout the years it's been a lot of ups it's been a lot of fun opening ceremony this, this brotherhood created um sisterhood or you know just hood, like gathering of bonding of people <laughs> out there um, to uh, maybe the struggles, maybe the downs. What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned over the past two years being a humble contributor to Temple Dow? Yeah. So with that, m- managing decentralized uh, teams and <laughs> managing those things better, things like deadlines, but also working together. I think that there's a lot to say there, uh, lots of he- unique challenges. Uh, one of the the cooler things that I saw during, I, I think that, that we also at Temple during uh, post opening ceremony, pre AMM launch period, was that there was such a, a high degree of talent liquidity that it kind of gave us an insight into what the future of work could be like. Uh, because, and this is insane, this would sound insane to someone who works in TradFi or Web2, but we could have a, a skill gap at 11.30 a.m. and by noon it would be filled and that person would be working and running a new person. Uh, and then by two, we could have another skill gap. And then by 2.30, we could have that skill gap filled uh, and that person would be working and would be compensated for it. Uh, that, that's that's insane to people in, in Web2. And it gave us uh, this really cool insight to what the future of work could be like. And uh, obviously, we've, we've encountered a lot of those unique struggles over the last few years, uh, also because our team is very decentralized from over the entire world. Uh, there's a there's a uh, lots of people in uh, Asia, uh, Australia, Europe. Uh, there's a couple in the in the US, and uh, that's obviously also time zone management. Uh, there's some people who are full time, some people who are part time. Uh, everyone gets paid in crypto. Uh, how do you manage that? How do you stay competitive? How do you uh, make sure? that um, people are happy and fulfilled in their work? Uh, how do you, on the other side, make sure that people don't quite quit? And so th- there's been a lot of challenges. It's like a human on, element to it. A huge human element. And it's, and it's human resources, per se. Hu- yeah, human, a huge, huge human resource and project management element to it. Uh, and especially because we're all Anon. So we work with Anons only, uh, which adds this extra layer of challenge, but also, uh, funnily enough, a, a deeper level of, of humanity and meritocracy. Uh, mm-hmm. For the most part, we have no idea 
what our co-contributors to the temple look like or where they're from. You know, we could hazard a guess based on time zones, but and accents sometimes sometimes it's misleading mine might be might all be psyops uh but <laughs> <Tiny camera. laughs> could be psyops. um but it, it's it's all it's all been based on merit i i don't know your your gender your orientation where you're from and and that's another quite beautiful aspect of that um and then secondly i would say that sometimes best way to move fast is to move slow we've dodged a lot of bullets by not rushing into things uh, but just moving a little bit more slowly we've also learned our lessons in that regard in rushing to markets because there's certain market pressures and you want to be fast because it's a fast moving space uh, but often it also pays to be slow and um, building DeFi products safely you know you can't rush that um, yeah, there's there's a million lessons there, but I'll, I'll leave it at those two. Yeah, that's that's really good. And like for me, my my favorite question to ask, like any uh, DeFi projects or any projects at all, like what does success look like for the Temple ultimate Dow? hit question? What does <laughs> success look like? Yeah, Lexi, want to have a crack at that? Uh, I'll let you go first. All right, I I, I think. Um, looping back to um, what I said earlier about us, you know, success vision of wanting to be uh, fully decentralized and autonomous. Um, so it's that part alongside still being able to generate the best possible risk adjusted returns uh, for the holders. Um, and yeah, the new governance framework is going to be uh, a key in unlocking that vision. Uh, we're looking forward to to be able to build that out. Um, it's it's going to be a challenge, but it's going to be uh, a necessary challenge that I hope will also push the entire space forward and um, also push other DAOs in moving in a similar direction. Yeah. So for me, I mean, for success, um, I guess my primary role at Temple is is basically product manager, and and over the last uh, you know year and a half, two years. Um, what I've learned uh, is that the product market fit is, is really important and it's um, very easy, easy to sort of dive right in and, and start building and, and iterating on what you think the, the, the customers want um, without actually asking them or, you know, um, getting input from the community. So it's really important, I think, for the team to be connected to uh, not only DeFi at large, and, and being very vigilant and alert about where the trends are, um, as well as just talking to the community and, and um, getting feedback on things that you're building and not sort of like uh, go head down for three months and then pop up uh, with something kind of weird and then like the community hates it, right? So I think we've all sort of been there. And But for, for DeFi project, it's, it's uh, particularly important because, you know, during the opening ceremony, um, there, were, there was a lot of money involved. There was a lot of uh, expectations and this sort of like this, this idea that, um, you know, it, it, the, once you have the money in hand to, to start the work, that's like the start of the journey. That's not like the finish line. Right. So a lot of projects have gotten into trouble. Um, I guess, um, 
not delivering value. And I would uh, hope to see Temple um, deliver value uh, in a very concrete way. So um, something that I mentioned earlier, you know, generating this uh, extrinsic value premium for the for the Temple price and being sort of like this go-to place for um, new projects um, where they were like, you know, they want to lean on our experience, our, our strengths and, and work with us to sort of build that uh, synergistic value and, and making sure that it's a good fit for both sides. So that's sort of like what I think success looks like is where like Temple is sort of like this benevolent uh, base layer for a lot of other um, hopefully wildly successful um, projects. Yeah. Well, I have no doubt that you guys will be not just cooking, but serving some really exciting <laughs> projects to DGENs and non-DGENs everywhere. Uh, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Before we go, we'd like to do a, uh, a little lightning round where we take a step back from the temple and go out into the field and touch grass and get to know who you guys are as people. Uh, we'll just do three questions each, just because uh, we're short on time. Uh, Kit, you uh, take the floor. Yes, to get to know the human behind the Templar, uh, let's start off with Miri first. Uh, when was the first time you, what was your virgin crypto experience? When was the first time you touched the blockchain and sex doesn't count? <laughs> That's a great question. I'm, I'm thinking, should I tell the real story, the fake story? Uh, Say whatever you want. It's all psyops. Okay, I'll, I'll tell I'll tell the the real story then. The real story, uh, okay, guys. Real which story. was uh, it was buying drugs on the internet. I'm not gonna lie. 2016 got 10 percent discount of a Bitcoin. I was like, well, this Bitcoin thing. Better figure out how to do it. Don't have to put <laughs> don't have to put those dollar bills in envelope anymore. People like that's like their first on chain experience, but they just don't say it. But you can't just really <laughs> I think if you're from pre 2017, you probably you're either like fake ID or some shit like that. Yeah, you're either a hardcore libertarian or you were probably buying drugs. <laughs> <laughs> or just so, uh, experimental. Yeah, so that that was uh, that was me. Bitcoin first, and then uh, found uh, read about Ethereum afterwards. Uh, not not too long afterwards, and then um, was going. I think I was going through a breakup at the time, and I, I just needed something to distract myself with. We just went programmable money, amazing, and just you know went yeah. down the rabbit hole and kind of never looked back. Got it. And then Lux, Lux. Was, what was your first experience? Um, yeah, so was, uh, my first experience was just uh, like everyone else buying buying some Bitcoin uh, on a centralized exchange. <laughs> Say some bikes on Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> not, not nearly that exciting. But I did, I did I, um, my most vivid memory was like getting some, like the, the infamous uh, Hex airdrop from Richard Hart who's been in the news recently and uh, thinking that, oh, this is a total scam and, uh, you know, not even claiming. And then I find out, you know, two years later that, you know, Hex moved and became this uh, fake billion dollar market cap coin. And just like, it got yeah. huge. No, I know. And it just uh, much regret, much regret <laughs> uh, for not claiming free tokens. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, airdrops uh, definitely um, was my first experience with crypto. Yeah. Huh. Cool. 
Yeah. Um, I'll take the next question. Uh, who do you guys think should be our next guest on Flywheel? Who would you recommend to come on Flywheel? Mary, oh. uh, go to uh, you first. Oh, God. Um, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I haven't looked through your entire anthology yet. I think um, DCF God would probably be a great guest. That's true. true. Uh, if you haven't had him on yet. Um, I guess she'll some of our partners, guys at Wasabi, and if the options protocol... Uh, it's a bit different from uh, perhaps what you guys usually do, uh, but it's also something that's uh, that's very novel. I haven't really seen that be done successfully yet, and these guys are doing it. Uh, great guys to have on. So I, I yeah, I chill them. Um, who else? I don't know. I'll, I'll probably come up with like five more names after, and I'll. Text have them. you guys worked with? <laughs> have you guys worked with Caviar before? Yeah. Caviar also. Yeah. Caviar is also a good I was one. Just mention, also, yeah. I'm, partners. I'm, yeah, I met yeah. those guys and um, they're because they're part of. They were a project out of the the, the guys from Cambridge. I know Homedow. They're Homedow project, right? Or maybe not. I, never mind. I'm not sure, um, but we are also partnered with with Caviar. We are still, I think, uh, the largest liquidity provider on Caviar as well. Uh, so really cool. Wasabi and, and on Caviar. They're in my East Japan wrap-up. I was like, four projects to watch, and Caviar was one of them. Oh, nice. Uh, they yeah. were at ETC as well. Oh, they, they were? Little, oh, I uh, them. Yeah, I like them yeah, a they, lot. They co-hosted an event uh, with uh, with Wasabi uh, and some other some other guys. Yeah. Um, all right, Lux. Yeah. What about you? Oh, you I can't say Caviar now. <laughs> uh, I'll just give a shout-out to <laughs> no. Tomo Yaku because he's like the lead. Um, at caviar, he's he's really okay, yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, I'm trying to think of someone, another partner that um, we work with. Um, well, it could be, it doesn't have to be a partner, it could be anyone, it could be like some anon you find interesting, it could be like somebody not even in crypto, or like I don't know, it could be who do you want to see on flywheel? Uh, I like to see Sifu on flywheel, actually. Oh. Yo, that would be... Huh. Whoa. Could that's we a, do that? Oh, that's a twist. Yo, could imagine if we had Sifu. Yo, let's do that, kid. That is a, Yo, that's that, a, twist. That is a phenomenal recommendation. Um, I, sweet. Have yeah. you guys also had the Barra guys on yet? I want to. Um, not yet. Uh, we're waiting for... I think you the, should. I think that would yeah. be a great episode. I know. Well, only if their chain's real. So like I just got only like, the see. even <laughs> only if the chain's not real, it's gonna be a really fun episode. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like one of our most watched videos on the Flywheel channel is uh, Bear Chain Alpha Secrets. This was back in like September of 2022 with 0xD24. Um, uh, but I know like you know we'll, we'll have the Bear guys on for sure. It's a matter not a matter if it's a matter of when. Yeah, Dev, Smokey, the whole crew on. Um, but anyways, on that note, we are really coming up close on time, so we're only going to do two questions this lightning round. But Miri, Lux, thank you for opening the doors to the temple for us to walk in, learn, educate ourselves. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, and we hope to see you guys again. Uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having us. It's been really fun. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, and uh, we hope we can come on the show again. Thanks, Thanks boys. GM, everyone, welcome to the post game. I'm your host, Defi Dave, here with Capital K, and we are right now walking out 
of the Temple of Dow doors back into the studio. That was a lot to take in, uh, but not too much to take in. But it was a good amount of information. And the thing I said right after this interview was, damn, there are so many parallels between how Temple Dow is developing and how Frax is developing, both in their philosophy of stablecoin maximalism, both in the way that they're building products, both in the way how they're thinking about minimizing governance and human interaction and managing their treasuries. These projects have been parallel to each other since Temple launched, since you needed to use Frax to mm -hmm. get the Temple token during the, uh, the original opening ceremony. And um, it was just such a natural fit to have them on. Uh, Kit, what are your thoughts on this one? What are your biggest takeaways? I mean, I feel like, like I think you guys nailed it when you said the parallel thing, because when I saw Spice, like as I understood more about it, I was like, oh, it's basically if every sub protocol of Fraxis was its own independent project, this is what it would look like, right? This is this is with its own independent token and with Frax as like the base layer, like this is exactly what it looks like. Hey, I got a spicy um, so, question. No, I have a spicy question uh -huh. for you. Um, do uh -huh. you see a future where Frax's sub protocols become more independent and they do have a governance token associated with them? Because right now there's sub protocols of Frax and extension of Frax and the FXS token, but I wouldn't rule out you know, let's say like the protocol matures more and, you know, we want Fraxland if one needs like more resources for its development and it's going on its own path. I wonder if there is a future where maybe Frax has their own SPICE token and then like the FXS token is kind of like an option, like the SPICE token equivalent is like the upside and like gaining a value, like underlying values to FXS. Do you see a future where that could be possible or am I just like hallucinating here? I think you're just teasing a question, uh, an answer out of me, and it's it's rhymes with axe chain, and that is frax chain, <laughs> right? <laughs> when that yeah. when that comes out, it, it would totally be, yeah. you know, it could totally evolve into being instead of a sub protocol into a protocol built on native, top of frax yeah, chain, native tokens or frax chain. It makes complete yeah. sense, like the first projects to be these sub protocols. Yes, um, agree, agree. Yeah. And but it, all these sub 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 talking reminds me of like uh, makers sub DAO or sub meta DAOs yeah. and how they will have their own tokens, right? And how like yeah. the maker token is going to effectively get some airdrop. I'm not sure what the tokenomics are, but mm -hmm. like it always accrues back to maker. And I, I think you know maker temple and frax are all clipping along the same yeah. path. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's, you know, same thing with stablecoin maximums. And there's this one universal structure for a stablecoin. Hell, if you make that broader, there's probably one universal structure on how to accure value to a token as well. And so uh, what are some things that surprised you in this interview, Kit? Honestly, it, it surprised me that Temple is, is still trucking along and having such a strong base of like contributors. Because yeah. you know, not a lot of projects. I figured like after all the the exploits and the issues and everything they've kind of been through, they would just kind of throw their hands in the air and just be like, "Okay, this is the reserve value of the treasury where it's going yeah. to distribute it to all the token holders and call it quits." But you know, I'm, as yeah. as you can see from they though they started as contributors they weren't even on the core team 
and then they rose to their positions. And I thought that was actually really yeah. unique and, and interesting. Definitely um, a really inspiring and, DeFi DAO story for all the contributors yeah. out there. If I'm new to the space and I'm looking how to get involved, or if I've been around for a while and I haven't had my break yet, like you can look at the stories of Lux and Miri uh, and how they worked their way up and how they were there through all the ups and downs and all the sleepless nights. And now it seems like, you know, like we Temple may have bottomed like a while ago, but it seems like Temple is really about to lift off with this whole family of products being available at the Spice Bazaar with first origami yeah. and then these other things they're cooking up uh, behind the scenes in the Temple. Who knows? Maybe in the Great Hall, maybe in the basement. But it, they're definitely going to be eating good. And it's, you know, yeah. I want to see them succeed. I want to see an on-chain DAO full of Anon succeed to, sh to show the world like, hey, look at the good, look at like what could be built on chain in our world. It would be a great shining example yeah. to show to everyone. Like, yeah, like full yeah. full meritocracy on display. Mm -hmm. yeah. But here's my, you know, I'm gonna be the, the Debbie Downer per se. Downer, but, okay. <laughs> but it's like, I was gonna be real. Like if they're having issues pulling in users and uh, you know, just having activity on their core products, what makes mm -hmm. it that all of these auxiliary slash incubator projects would also take flight? Like what is their growth strategy, especially in the bear? The bear is for building, yes, but after you build it, you need people to use it. So what is their strategy around that? You know, I, I didn't get a chance to ask that on the call, but that's something that I think would that's be a, really yeah, interesting to hear. Get, get a little to the point. Well, let me, uh, if I had to uh, stand up for our Templars over there um, and maybe give them a little bit of advice, because I really haven't heard too much of Temple at Dow at all since the whole AMM yep. fiasco. It kind of, they, I just kind of assumed they'd like, other than talking to Mary, I knew they were like doing stuff. I knew they were doing treasury management, but I didn't know they were doing this whole builder blitz per se for their products. Mm -hmm. And it's actually yep. really impressive. And I think what they need to do is do like a second marketing push. Hell, maybe do a second opening ceremony, which sounds like they're gonna do with origami. Reopening. Re a reopening, <laughs> a grand reopening of the Spice Bazaar. Yeah. And I'm sure they're planning that. I, I wouldn't put it past them, but I'm wait, like they yeah. needed to, you know, introduce their new family of products in a big way, especially yeah. to get the attention span of the short attention span and of the DeFi news cycle and the crypto news cycle. Cause you know, and stepping on, I'm really happy I had them on. Like I've seen Mary at all these conferences. He has told me about all their products. I knew they've been loyal participants and quite active in the Frax ecosystem. And you know, Sam Kazik suggested we had them. So it's great that we had them on. It's a good first start. And I hope yep. we give them the flywheel bump. We hope, I hope they can harness the power of the flywheel and use that as the beginning, as a springboard to show the world what Temple is offering um, everyone. So exciting, real exciting stuff. Um, and we're definitely gonna keep an eye on them. Gonna see them in Singapore. Shout out Mary, shout out, shout out Lux, thank you for coming on. And if you want to catch up with everything Flywheel and make sure you keep on harnessing the power of the Flywheel, make sure you hit that subscribe button, hit that bell button to never miss an episode flywheel frax check this week in frax everything in between hit that belt button give us a like 
Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at FlywheelDefi. Make sure you join our Telegram group at FlywheelDefi. You can follow me on Twitter at DefiDay22. You can follow me at 0x capital underscore K. And make sure you check out our new website right now, FlywheelDefi.com. If you're new to Frax, this is the resource to go to get started learning about Frax. We have a whole Frax 101 section for beginners and for the events alike. I know there's a lot going on with Frax V3. I know if you want, I know it may be overwhelming, but we're here to break it down and make it simple for you. So make sure you go to Flywheel DeFi. Make sure you subscribe there for all the latest updates. And thank you again for watching Flywheel. We will see you next week. And Dave, before we go, what was that website again? FlywheelDeFi.com. That's right. That's right. All right. See you guys next week. Peace. Peace. Everything said on this episode is not financial or tax advice. This channel is strictly for educational purposes and is not in investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell any assets or to make any financial decisions. This video is not tax advice whatsoever. Please talk to your accountant and do your own research.